Good morning, Soul Sanctuary family. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the honor of, of sharing the scriptures with you this morning. This summer, we've been in a series called Summer Playlist, and as a church family, we've been diving into the music that has defined our generation and really our generations. We've been looking at music from the broad spectrum of time over the last you know, 50 to, to 70 years. Music is important. It's good for us to to analyze music because it's one of the cultural forces that work upon us that we might not even know is working upon us. Music is formative. You know, education is formative in the sense that it explicitly communicates ideas and facts, but music is also formative. The arts are formative in the sense that they transmit ideas and beliefs and values, you know, in a way that, that a PowerPoint presentation never could. Have you ever heard a song and it made you cry? This is what I'm talking about. It draws something out of you. Have you ever looked at a painting or a sculpture and just stood in awe at its mystery? This is what art does to us. You know, we might learn from a lecture, but but we feel art. We experience music. In the 5th century, St. Augustine said, Let every good and true Christian understand that whatever truth may be found, it belongs to his master. And the music that we listen to may, may very well speak some varying degrees of truth. And according to Augustine, truth inherently stems from the Creator, God, who is sovereign, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So as as Christians, we must recognize that all truth is God's truth. And that everything that is true, everything that's lovely, everything that's honorable, everything that's right and good and just originates with and points us back to our Creator. So it's with this idea fixed firmly in our minds that we can approach our contemporary music, the music of our age, and we can mine it for truth. And we can see how it reveals the hidden Christ. Today we're exploring the song Lovely by Billie Eilish and Khalid. The song was released in mid-2018 as a part of the soundtrack for the second season of the Netflix original 13 Reasons Why. That sounds like an ad. The Netflix original 13 Reasons Why. But, but, but net, the, the, this show, it wrestles with the reality of teen suicide. It wrestles with uh, sexual assault. It wrestles with drug abuse and a whole host of other teen-oriented issues. This song came out at the same time on the soundtrack. And since its release, Lovely has gone on to accumulate more than 1.5 billion Spotify listens. It also has an additional 1.3 billion views on its official YouTube video. There is something about Lovely, this song, that keeps listeners coming back for more and more and more. Lovely is a melancholic ballad. You know, Eilish herself mentioned that they settled on the title Lovely in an ironic manner, as the song is really just a depressing mix of stringed instruments and haunting vocals. The song isn't lovely at all. Uh, Lovely is is heart-wrenching. It's saddening. It's hopeless. It's distressing. Lovely is a sad song. Our passage today from the scriptures comes from Psalm chapter 6. 
The Psalms are quite literally the songbook of the Bible. Psalms were and still are sung to commemorate specific events and celebrations in the life of God's people. Jesus himself was overtly familiar with the Psalms. As he hung on the cross, he quoted from both Psalm 22 and Psalm 31, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 6 reads, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and I trench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and with anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. If Psalm 6 was sung today, I think it'd be to the tune of Billie Eilish's Lovely. Psalm 6 is a psalm that you don't just read. It's a psalm that you feel. Psalm 6 draws us into itself. There's something visceral that we connect to. You know, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? If you've lived long enough to suffer, or if you've lived long enough to suffer with someone, then something in this passage will connect with you. There's there's something about sad music now that seems to, to either soothe our sufferings or to magnify our pain. When I was like a moderately angsty teenager, I remember listening to bands like Linkin Park. They had hit, hit songs titled Numb, or another one was In the End. The lyrics in In the End were, I kept everything inside, and even though I tried, it all fell apart. What it meant to me will eventually be a memory of a time I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. These are the hopeless songs that were, were playing on my old school MP3 player. Back then, there were, there were bands like Billy Talent that I just loved. They, they had tracks like Fallen Leaves or Rusted from the Rain. The music that I listened to during this stage of my life only amplified the feelings of negativity that I was already experiencing. You know, I can now, looking back in retrospect, like a couple years ago, went to a Billy Talent concert and I watched it, and it was all the nostalgia of my youth, and it elicited only joyful memories, nothing negative. But, but as, I, as I remember back to listening to that music in junior high, I was drawn back to listen to those songs on repeat, and they amplified the negativity. And as, as I reflect back on, on why I listened to those songs, perhaps... It felt like, as I listened to those lyrics, it felt like somebody understood me. You know, it drew me into a community of fellow sufferers. Maybe you can relate with that. 
2019, a study comes out in the Netherlands that talks about music and adolescence. And adolescents who listen to sad music objectively experienced a snowballing effect of negativity. That negativity included uh, elevated levels of depressive moods, negative social comparison to peers, and low self-esteem. Undeniably, the music that we listen to has some sort of effect on us. Eilish is Lovely, a disheartening, hopeless, distressing song, draws millions and millions of listeners every single day. Even three years after its release date, Lovely is still in the top 100 of the most listened to songs on Spotify this very week. You have to put that in context. In the day and age where music turns over and pumps out like nothing, where, where the, what's the number one on the radio changes week in, week out, since the release of this song in mid-2018, it has maintained a top spot with millions and millions of listeners. If you haven't heard the lyrics, in Lovely Eilish says, Oh, I hope someday I can make it out of here. Even if it takes all night or a hundred years. I need a place to hide, but I can't find one near. I want to feel alive, uh, but outside I can't fight my fear. Isn't it lovely all alone? A heart made of glass, my mind of stone, tear me to pieces, skin to bone. Hello, welcome home. In an interview, Eilish's producer noted that, that both Billy and Khalid have struggled with their mental health and that this song is a reflection of, of how they felt at times in their life. Trapped, lost, fearful, lonely, anything but lovely. Anything but loved. Lovely is a song expressing the deepest and most distressing parts of the human experience. And it draws in millions of people each week. And it invites them to eat together at the table of their hopelessness. And the meal is served in a shroud of darkness. And the, and the food itself only perpetuates the sickness. But at the end of the three minute and or three minute and nineteen second meal, each guest starts it over again. There's something in the water that keeps them coming back for more. Now, don't take this as me saying don't listen to sad music. In fact, the opposite. Lovely and Psalm six share a number of notable connections in that they reveal the depths of human suffering. And the truth that we can mine from Lovely is that it's a reflection of the human experience. It, it acknowledges the, the reality of pain. It, it recognizes the reality of suffering. Both Lovely and Psalm 6 speak of being trapped, of being isolated, of being forgotten, of being lost. Both the scripture and the pop song speak of sorrow. And while similar, Lovely and Psalm 6 are most distinct from one another in how their sorrow is expressed. While Eilish and Khalid express the circular and entrapping nature of their sorrow, Psalm 6 is really structured as a lament. A lament is a prayer. 
It's a cry directed towards God. It's not despair. It's not whining for the sake of whining. It's not a shout into the void. It's the prayer of those who are deeply disturbed by the way things are. Here again, the cry of the psalmist. Verse 1, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. The psalmist cries out, Lord, my sorrow is too much for me to handle. Lord, I'm at my wit's end. Lord, I am in physical, emotional, mental distress. Lord, I cannot take one more step forward. Lord, have mercy. Lord, take this cup of suffering from me. The psalmist continues, "Uh, uh, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. It's almost like a threat to God, the psalmist cries out. If I die, I can't sing your praises. Do you want me dead, God? Is that what you want? God, I'm exhausted. God, I can't win. God, I got nothing left to give. The psalmist does a great job of describing the symptoms of their sorrow and how that makes them feel. But they don't give us much insight into the situation or the cause of their sorrow. Is this a personal issue? Maybe. A sickness? Maybe. Is their heart broken for their family? Or are they distressed at the direction of their nation? We simply don't know, to be sure. Yet what is clear to us in reading Psalm 6 is that their pain leads them to call out to God. Lament is unpopular in today's day and age for a number of reasons. The first is that lament slows down progress. You know, in the day and age of, of quick fixes and home remedies, crying out to God seems like an unnecessary step on the journey to being your best self or getting better. Well, let's be real. What's more enticing? You know, working towards solving our problems with, with the things that we control or sitting in our pain and crying out to God? You know, I'd actually suggest that the, that the sheer popularity of Lovely, a song where the singers sit and stew and come to accept pain and suffering, is, is, uh, uh, the, the pain and suffering in their lives, is actually a countercultural rejection of the get-well-quick nature of our society. I think that young people in particular are beginning to accept and open up a little bit more about their hardships. However, I'm not sure that the pop stars who lead these movements of opening up and accepting your pain really provide any real or sustaining sense of hope. Long before Billy led millions of young people to accept their sorrow as their new home, 
The God of all creation came to earth and said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And therein lies another reason why lament is unpopular. Lament requires vulnerability and complete reliance on God. I've never personally been great with vulnerability. Opening, opening up and sharing the depths of my heart takes a deep emotional and physical toll on me. It exhausts me. Earlier this week, I was sitting in my counselor's office, and he was probing some events from my past, you know, just poking around in there. And I got to the point as if I felt that we were caught in a circular pattern of dissecting past events and, and exploring them and, and just simply regurgitating these things. Things from the past that I, I have no control of. I was growing frustrated as our conversation went on, thinking to myself, I'm ready to move on from this, you know, to deal with the present. I've got to leave the past behind me. I need to address the things in the present. Well, what can I control? Yet when I was processing this conversation later that evening with Lauren, I arrived home and she broke it down for me. My healing often requires me to acknowledge the past and simply to be vulnerable and open myself up to talking about it. You know, trusting others and God with the depths of my emotions and relying on God to do a restorative work instead of relying on my own initiative, my own efforts, my own manipulations. See, the rest that Christ promises, the rest that Christ gives comes after we draw near to him. This true rest requires submission. The rest that Jesus promises in Matthew 11 is the same rest that God promises to the Israelites in the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua is the story of the people of Israel receiving the land that God had promised them. Joshua 21 says this, So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. The rest that God promises is the people of God in the place that God has ordained for them, resting in the presence of God. The rest that God promises his people is a coming together of the people of God in the place of God, in the presence of God. And as we continue on in the story, we, we see that the people of Israel, rooted in their rebellion and disobedience towards God, usurps the rest that God has given them. When they refused to rely on God to keep their hearts soft and open towards Him, God gave them up to their own selfishness and their own disordered desires. See, the rest that we are promised by Jesus is that we, the people of God, will find ourselves in the place that God has prepared for us, His kingdom, resting in the sustaining power of of God's presence, a rest that is possible for you and me today. 
but we don't accidentally stumble into God's rest. We, we don't cure ourselves into God's rest. We don't manipulate ourselves into God's rest. We must first come to God in our weariness. We come to God with our burdens in complete submission to His will, and only then do we receive His rest. Finally, lament is unpopular because it puts the solution to our pain outside of our control. When we're suffering, it already feels like the world is outside of our control. We desperately cling to anything that will give us some degree of confidence or certainty. Yet lament is an open-handed cry out to God, to which the outside, uh, uh, to which to the outside observer uh, might seem futile or pointless. This week in particular. I've seen a host of Instagram posts calling on Christians to pray for Afghanistan, to pray for Haiti, to pray for BC, to pray, to pray, to pray. And critics of these posts often say something to the effect of, those people don't need prayers, they need your action. And rightly so. Those with the power to make a difference in saving lives have a moral obligation to do so. However, to minimize a call out to God as something that's infantile is to put an exorbitant amount of faith in the people who run our nations and our world. Well, there is a right and just place for the critiques of social media slacktivism and, and virtue signaling in general. Christians must remember that our first response to tragedy of any sort is to call out to God, the Sovereign Lord, the Creator of all, the King of Kings. Because by calling out to God, we put our pain and the pain of our brothers and sisters before us and we offer it to Him. You know, we sing with the psalmist a, a lament. We call out to God for mercy and deliverance. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, then you'd be a fool to take any course of action that is not rooted and grounded in prayer. You know, lament makes us uncomfortable. Because as soon as we cry out to God, we soon come to realize that people are messy. That situations are complex. That there is no easy consolation for the person who cries out to God in their distress. In his book, A Grief Observed, which is a collection of journal entries composed shortly after the death of his wife, C.S. Lewis says this, Talk to me about the truth of religion, and I'll gladly listen. Tell me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion, or I shall suspect that you don't understand. A grief observed is a deep dive into the suffering of a faithful Christian. Years earlier, Lewis had written a book called The Problem of Pain. 
and he explores pain and suffering from a theological perspective. Yet in a grief observed, Lewis becomes the subject of his suffering. And pain is no longer this abstract thing that he writes about. It's something that he feels. It consumes his being. Lewis acknowledges that the Christian life is full of suffering. And that no Bible verse quoted at him out of context is going to make him feel better. Yet where Lewis resolves the book, where he finds his comfort, is in the grand narrative of Scripture. A grand story of redemption composed of a bunch of smaller stories of redemption which, compe- which provide for him the most compelling answers to his pain and to his grief and to life's big questions. Lewis sees how Jesus weeps in John 11, and he sees the blood that Jesus sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he can conclude that Christianity isn't about making it all feel better, but it's about pointing to a hope which truly makes it all better. Lament isn't simply one step to making it better. The Christian calling out to God will rarely find that God swoops down and like a genie will magically solve all their problems. But it's through lament that the Christian is transformed. It's through lament that that you and I have a radical hope birthed within our hearts, a belief that maybe, just maybe, Christ's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is a reality within our reach. Lament gives birth to a radical hope. Hear the end of Psalm 6, verse 8. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn their backs and suddenly be put to shame. What is it that changes for the psalmist between verses 7 and 8? You know, was there some sort of epiphany? Some sort of uh, a moment of clarity? Did the clouds part? Ah, God heard me. You know, we see see another moment in, in Psalm 31. Halfway through, it's a pivot point. After a, a deep lament, a deep cry out to God, David says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on me, your servant, and save me in your unfailing love. What is it about crying out to God that can inspire in someone the confidence to decry their enemies. You know, to move forward with confidence and assurance. So may I suggest to you that lament, a cry out to God, properly aligns our focus. It allows us to rise above the harrowing nature of our circumstances and to be recaptured by the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. See, over time, that hope, it works its way into every fabric of our being, and it 
spills out as we are squeezed. It spills out into every conversation, into every interaction that we have. To lament is itself a sign of hope. To be bothered or broken by your current state of affairs or the state of affairs around you or in this world is evidence that within you there is a longing for something greater, for something not fractured and broken, for something sustaining, for something right and good and true and just. To the extent that we are not broken by the things, by the way things are in this world, we do not hope. To lament, then, is to recognize that without God's intervention, there is no real, lasting, or transformative hope. And, and this is where Billy's song pains me. Where's her hope? Where is the hope in her suffering? Where is the confidence that she will be delivered? She's looking for a hiding place. Can't find it. She's alone and desperately seeking community. Nowhere to be found. She's in pain. But what does she do with it? She just accepts it as a part of herself. This is the way that it's going to be. She's being torn to pieces. Skin to bone. And the best that she can muster is an acceptance that she'll live the rest of her days as a fleshless skeleton, that this pain is simply her reality. 1 Thessalonians 4 reminds the Christian to not mourn like those who have no hope, but to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and its eternal impact. Lament forces us to feel. It's through lament that you enter into the suffering of your brothers and sisters as you sit with them in the silence of their pain. In lament, you name your sufferings. You see your pain held before you. You know, in lament, those things that were headlines in the morning become real to you as you lift up the plight of others to God. You know, the first step to hoping with someone is to mourn with them. The, the first step to building with someone is to survey the damage together. The Christian vision of hope is one that is carried into the living room of a family who has lost a child. It seeps into the marriages marred by infidelity. It finds its way to the heart of the addict. It appears as a glimmering light in the room of the deeply depressed retiree. It travels and it moves and it does so as it is carried by faithful Christians who have taken up the challenge to carry one another's burdens, to enter into one another's sufferings, to stay, to listen, to simply be. They don't offer petty consolations. But together they cry out to God in lament. The Christian vision of hope is a subversive, countercultural belief that the way things are is not the way that things have to be. That because of Christ, a new kingdom is here. 
and soon it's coming in all of its fullness. So here is your charge, soul sanctuary. Cry out to God. Embrace the awkwardness of lament and cry out to God. Shelf your desire to make a change and first cry out to God. Open yourself to vulnerability and cry out to God. I've come to learn that when when I spend more time reading headlines than I do crying out to God, I find myself devolving into a, a pragmatic, utilitarian activist rather than a faithful disciple of Jesus. I seem to forget the promises of the one who says, Call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I will save you. When I don't cry out to God, my heart grows cold. When I don't cry out to God, my pain becomes all that I can see. When I don't cry out to God, I'm no longer moved by the suffering of those around me. Here's the thing, Soul Sanctuary. That when it comes to our pain and suffering, we have many experts, but we have few leaders. You know, everyone is ready to to talk about pain and suffering, but there are very few who are willing to take our hand and lead us through it. May we be those people Moved by the suffering and pain of our world. Moved by the suffering and pain we feel. Moved by the suffering and pain of our brothers and sisters who cry out to God, knowing the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Let it be so. I leave you with the Apostle's Paul prayer for, uh, the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you might know Him better. As you call out to God, I pray that you might come to know Him better by the power of His Spirit. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is my prayer for you, that as you call out to God, he meets you right where you're at. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we're going to take a moment and, and practice communion together. In this moment here now, uh, uh, I want to lead us as we remember his sacrifice. The sacrifice which has secured for us the hope that is ours. If you're at home, grab a, 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 or secure a solid and a liquid. And I invite you as fellow followers of Christ to practice together. We remember the hope that is ours. We long for the day uh, when there are no more tears, when the world is set to rights and where God reigns as king forever. And we observe the sacrament of communion as an act of remembrance 
and in expectation of his kingdom come. In this act of eating and drinking together, it, it, it is itself a cry out to God. In eating and drinking, we recognize our inability to sustain ourselves as we need the grace of Jesus Christ to live the lives that we have been called to live. May we come together this morning and repent of our sins. May we cry out to God in the pain of our brothers and sisters. May we remember that out of His great love for us, God sent His Son. Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that we may be forgiven, united to him forever, our hope secured. So take a moment with me to repent of our sins and examine our hearts as we reorient them towards Christ. Father, forgive us our sins. Together we remember the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus, and we are thankful. I read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Faithful God, loving and merciful Savior, we cry out to you for salvation. We remember that you are the one who is near to us, and we call on you. You who hear our cries and who save us. We remember that you provide for those you love. You destroy the wicked who reject you. May we recognize our inability to save ourselves. May we cleave to the eternal hope that is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So sanctuary, in times of old, the one giving the blessing would extend hands and those receiving it would do likewise. If you would like a blessing this morning, wherever you find yourself, I encourage you to extend your hands. So sanctuary, may we learn to cry out to God in lament. As faithful followers of Jesus, may we step out with our suffering brothers and sisters and intercede on their behalf. May we identify the pain and stay long enough to bring the hope of Christ. May we cry out to God and in doing so long for the world that God longs for. May we patiently labor by the power of the Holy Spirit to see His kingdom come on earth as it is 
in heaven. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we come to be those who learn to absorb pain without passing it on to others or to ourselves. Be blessed. Go in peace. And we'll see you next week.